Good morning and welcome to Christ Central. My name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, for those of you who are here on site for in-person worship service, it is so good to see you. Thank you for being here. And for those of you who are joining us online, thank you for watching and just thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us. Well, as a reminder and Lord willing, uh, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper next Sunday. It has been such a long time since we as a church have uh, shared in the Lord's Supper together, and I miss it so much. And, um, and if, you, if you would like to share in the Lord's Supper next week, please RSVP on the Planning Center uh, to be here on site for in-person worship, because we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper after the live stream of our worship service. Well, currently we're in a sermon series on the Gospel of Luke, and we're calling this series Following Jesus Through the Book of Luke. And our goal is simply to follow Jesus around as he moves through the Book of Luke. We're going to watch what he does. We're going to listen to what he says. And then as we watch his actions and as we listen to his teachings, my prayer and my hope is that we would find Jesus beautiful and compelling, and that we would be more certain of the things that we believe, that Jesus really is the Son of God, that he really is the promised Messiah, and that he really is the Savior of the world, and that he really is worth following, no matter how hard following him may be. And the title of today's sermon is Jesus Heals the Paralytic. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 17 to 26. People of God, this is the word of our God. Would you please give it your careful attention? On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the mist before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he, was, what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Last week, we asked this question. What kind of people will Jesus and his disciples be catching for the kingdom of God? What kind of people would Jesus call into the kingdom that he was proclaiming and bringing? What kind of people would Jesus invite to be a part of the new community that he's forming to be his family? And as we began to see last week, it is not the kind of people that you would think. 
It's not the rich, the powerful, the successful, the beautiful, the popular, or even the externally religious. It's not the people who you would deem to be desirable or even socially acceptable, at least according to the standards of the world. Surprisingly and scandalously, it's the people that you would least expect. It's lepers, as we learned last week. It's paralytics, as we'll learn today. It's tax collectors and sinners. You see, it's the marginalized, the unimportant, the forgotten, the unwanted, and the social outcasts. In verses 31 and 32, Jesus tells us who he came for. Jesus said, There are those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came for the sick and sinner. Jesus came for the lost, the least, the last, the left out, the left behind, and the lonely. These are the kinds of people that Jesus and his disciples would be catching and making citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So who does Jesus invite to be a part of the kingdom of God? Well, it's everyone who knows that they are sick and sinner. It's everyone who knows that they need Jesus to be their physician and to be their savior. You see, and as we will learn today, Jesus welcomes everyone into his kingdom, even paralytics who have to be carried into it. Here's the outline for today's sermon. First, the need for forgiveness. Second, the authority to grant forgiveness. And third, the cost of forgiveness. So first, the need for forgiveness. In verse 18, Luke tells us that some men brought a paralyzed man to Jesus. Now, Mark's gospel gives us a little more detail, uh, details about this episode, and we learn that it's actually four friends who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And according to Mark's gospel, the house where Jesus was teaching was so jam-packed with people that they couldn't get in through the door. They couldn't bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. But these four friends didn't give up and go back home. They were determined to get their friends to Jesus no matter what. You see, they had heard the reports that were going on, that were going around about Jesus. They had heard that Jesus was able to perform miracles, that he was healing many sick people, that he even healed a leper. And they believed that Jesus could do a miraculous healing for their friend. And they knew how much their paralyzed friend needed a miraculous healing. And so they were ready to do whatever it took to have their paralyzed friend get to Jesus. They carried their paralyzed friend up to the roof, and then they dug a hole on top uh, through the roof, and then they lowered their friend through the hole uh, into the mist where Jesus was sitting so that their friend could be with Jesus. Now they did whatever it took to take their friend to Jesus. Think about this. They were even willing to damage personal property and evidently pay for it so that their friend could get to Jesus. I want you to see the tenacity of these friends. You see, their tenacity was a sign of both their love for their friend and a sign of their faith in Jesus. They loved their friend, and they believed that Jesus could help their friend. You see, friends, they thought that both their friend and Jesus was worth all that effort. If you're a follower of Jesus, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you felt so burdened for a friend and by their need for Jesus that you did whatever it took to bring that friend to Jesus? 
When was the last time you were tenacious about bringing your friend to Jesus, either by telling them about Jesus yourself or by bringing them to church so that, so that they might hear about Jesus, especially in the preaching of the word and in the worship of his people? Do you have a friend that you love, that you know needs Jesus? then be like the four friends in our story. Do whatever it takes to bring that friend to Jesus. You can invite them to come here to a church service, or you can invite them to watch online. Invite your friends to watch the service or to be in the service because they will encounter Jesus here, because Jesus is worshiped and praised here. Jesus is preached here. And our job as followers of Jesus is to bring our friends to Jesus so that Jesus might forgive and heal them just as Jesus has forgiven and healed us. So do whatever it takes to bring your friends to Jesus. Be creative. Be tenacious. Don't give up. Tear a hole through a roof if you have to. Do everything that you can to bring your friends to Jesus because your friends are worth it and Jesus is worth it. Now in verse 20, Luke tells us that Jesus saw their faith. These five men, four friends, and the paralyzed man, they all had faith in Jesus. You see, the friends believed that Jesus could heal their paralyzed friend, but most importantly, the paralyzed man himself believed that Jesus could heal him. So these five men came to Jesus believing that Jesus could do a miraculous healing for them. But Jesus did something else for these friends. In verse 20, Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven. And as we hear that, we're like, uh, wait a minute. Jesus, I think you misunder mis misunderstood them. You misheard them. They're looking. Can you try that one again? They wanted Jesus, they wanted to hear Jesus say, rise, get up and walk. But instead, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. What Jesus said seemed so irrelevant to the situation. They wanted a healing, not forgiveness. They wanted a miracle, not a pardon. Now, if we're honest, aren't we just like the guys in this story? We would rather have a healing than forgiveness. We would rather have a miracle than a pardon. We think that our physical needs are more important and more urgent than our spiritual needs but not Jesus. You see, as important as our physical needs are, our spiritual needs are even more important than our physical needs. When Jesus looked upon this man, he didn't just see a paralytic. He also saw a sinner. And Jesus knew what this man needed first and foremost was spiritual healing, even more than physical healing. Jesus knew what this man needed most was forgiveness and not just the ability to walk. And that's why Jesus forgave this man of his sins. Jesus was saying, your paralysis is not your most fundamental problem. Your most fundamental problem is that you're alienated from God. Your sins have separated you from God. Your sins are a barrier between you and God, and you need that barrier removed. You see, when we look upon this man, we see a paralytic, and we think what he needs is healing so that he can walk. But when Jesus looked upon this man, he saw a sinner, and Jesus knew what he needed was forgiveness so that he can walk with God. And Jesus was right, wasn't he? Who cares if you can walk if you're not walking with God? 
Who cares if you can run if you're running from God? If there really is a heaven and a hell, as the Bible says that there is, wouldn't it be better to enter into heaven as a paralytic than go to hell as an able-bodied person? A true of Jesus says, I would rather be forgiven than be able-bodied. A true follower of Jesus says, I would rather have Jesus than a healthy body. You see, as good and as desirable as a healthy body is, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than life itself. And on the surface, it may not seem that we have much in common with this paralytic. But if you look underneath the surface, we have so much in common with this paralytic. You see, like him, we are sinners. Like him, we need forgiveness. Now let me ask you, do you realize that you're a sinner too? Do you sense the guilt and the shame of your sins? Do you wish for, long for, want the forgiveness of your sins? If you do, then come to Jesus and he will say to you, man, woman, your sins are forgiven you. All your sins, even your worst sins that you, you think are unforgivable, Jesus can and will forgive all of your sins. You see, friends, Jesus doesn't just forgive your sins. He forgives you. Jesus forgives you, and Jesus loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you may not have done, Jesus forgives and loves you. And some of you need to hear that this morning. Some of you today need to hear again that Jesus forgives you and that he loves you. No matter what sins you're struggling with, no matter what doubts you may be struggling with, Jesus forgives you and loves you. You see, nothing can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? You are forgiven and you're loved no matter what. So like the paralytic, we are sinners in need of forgiveness. Second, let's talk about the authority to grant forgiveness. So who has the authority to grant forgiveness? Who can forgive sins? Psalm 103 verse 2 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities. Now the teaching of the Old Testament is clear. From the book of Moses to the Psalms and to the prophets, they all teach one thing, that it is God and God alone who forgives sins. God and God alone has the authority to forgive sins because all sins are ultimately committed against God because sins are the breaking and the violating of God's law. So when Jesus forgave the paralytic sin, the scribes and the Pharisees instantly recognized that Jesus was claiming to do something that only God had the authority, only God had the right to do. That's why they said in verse 21 that Jesus was blaspheming. They said, who is this fellow who blasphemes? Who can forgive sins but God alone? The scribes and the Pharisees were offended and, and angry at the audacity that Jesus had to claim to do what only God can do, which is to forgive sins. But Jesus, because he was God, was able to read their minds. He knew what they were thinking. He perceived their thoughts. And Jesus asked, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? And in order to prove 
that he indeed had the authority to forgive sins, Jesus healed the paralytic. The miraculous healing was proof that verified and validated that Jesus really did have the authority to forgive sins and that ultimately he was God himself in human flesh. Now, have you ever wondered why Jesus was hated so much, especially by the religious leaders of his day? Think about it. Jesus lived a beautiful life. He healed the sick. He healed lepers. He made the lame to walk, and he gave sight to the blind. He even raised the dead and gave them back to the people that loved them. Jesus never mistreated people. He befriended the friendless. He defended the powerless. He was full of compassion, mercy, grace, and love. Jesus never acted arrogantly or, or self-righteously. He even welcomed and befriended tax collectors and prostitutes. Jesus was the most compassionate, the most merciful, and the most just man who ever lived. He lived the most loving, the most selfless, and the most sacrificial life that was ever lived in human history. Jesus lived an absolutely beautiful life. Then why was Jesus hated so much? What was it about Jesus that made people hate him and ultimately crucify him? Listen, friends. Jesus was not hated for what he did. He was hated for what he said. It was because Jesus claimed to be God. People, especially religious leaders, couldn't stand that Jesus claimed to be God. You see, in their eyes, for a mere man to claim divinity, to claim that he was God, was the absolute height of arrogant blasphemy. Now, I think there's an important application here for us as Christ followers. Jesus said that the world hated him and that it would hate us too because we were his disciples. But you know what? The world won't hate us for what we do. In fact, the world often praises and appreciates Christians for the good that they do, right? When Christians care for the poor and the vulnerable, when Christians adopt orphans, when Christians provide relief after natural disasters, when the world sees the compassion of Christians, they generally praise Christians for the good that they do. When they see Christians work for justice and fight against injustice like human trafficking and slavery, the world generally praises Christians for the good work that they do. Then why are Christians hated and marginalized even after all the good that they do in the world? It's not for what we do. It's for what we believe and say. Christians are hated for the exact same reason that our Lord Jesus Christ himself was hated. Ultimately, why was Jesus hated? Because Jesus claimed to be God and Lord. Why are we as Christ followers hated? Ultimately, because we believe and proclaim that Jesus is God and Lord. The world loves our good works but it can't stand our faith. The world loves a healing Jesus, but not a Jesus who claims to be God. Likewise, the world loves a serving church, but not a confessing church. A church that confesses that Jesus is Lord and God, a church that proclaims that Jesus alone has the right to determine what is right and wrong, um, and that Jesus is the only way to salvation. The world loves our good deeds, but they hate our faith and our message, which is based on the Bible, which is the word of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, you must be prepared to be both loved and hated. 
loved for the good that you do, but also hated at the same time for believing and proclaiming that Jesus is God and Lord, that all are accountable to him, that there is no salvation apart from Jesus. So we talked about uh, the need for forgiveness and then the authority to grant forgiveness. Lastly, let's talk about the cost of forgiveness. It costs the paralytic nothing to get forgiveness. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to pay anything. It was completely free for him. But it cost Jesus everything to grant forgiveness. Jesus asked, what was easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? Now we think that it's much easier for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven. We think that it was much harder to say rise and get up and walk. But the truth is that it was infinitely harder for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven. Why? To heal the paralytic that would just take Jesus' power. But to forgive his sins, that would take Jesus' life. Jesus not only had the authority to forgive the paralytic sin as God, but Jesus was also willing to pay the cost to forgive his sins as his Savior. When Jesus forgave and healed this paralytic, it started a conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. And this conflict will continue to grow and intensify throughout the book of Luke until it finally culminates in them crucifying Jesus on the cross. Jesus was able to speak the word of forgiveness here because he would eventually pay the price of forgiveness later. On the cross, Jesus paid the price for the forgiveness of sins with his own life. On the cross, Jesus was forsaken so that we might be forgiven. On the cross, Jesus was bruised and crushed so that we might be healed and restored. You see, on the cross, it would be Jesus who would be paralyzed, unable to move his hands and his feet as they were nailed to the cross. It would be Jesus who would need to be carried from the cross to the grave. It would, Jesus, it would be Jesus who would ultimately be paralyzed in the paralysis of death. But the grave was unable to keep Jesus in the paralysis of death. On the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead, and Jesus walked out. Jesus is paralyzed no more. And even today, Jesus sits and reigns from the throne of heaven, and he reigns over the world. So what did it cost Jesus to forgive sins? What did it cost Jesus to forgive the paralytic sins? What did it cost Jesus to forgive your sins and my sins? It cost Jesus everything. It cost him his life. Jesus had to die in order for us to be forgiven of our sins. And Jesus was willing to die for us because he loves us that much. And like the healing of the leper, this miracle was a messianic and a heavenly sign. First, it was a messianic sign. It was a sign that Jesus truly was the Messiah. You see, the Old Testament prophecy said that the, when the Messiah comes, the Messiah will make the lame to walk. And by making this lame, paralyzed man to walk, Jesus was signaling that he was the promised Messiah. 
Secondly, this was also a heavenly sign. It was a sign of what heaven would be like. It was a sign of what the kingdom of God would be like when he returns and brings in, in, in its fullness. Friends, all the miracles of Jesus were the temporary reversals of all the things that are broken in this creation. When Jesus performed a miracle, he was making things the way they were supposed to be and the way things will be one day when he returns. Pastor Tim Keller said this about Jesus' miracles, including this one. Christ's miracles were not the suspension of the natural order, but the restoration of the natural order. They were a reminder of what, of what once was prior to the fall and a preview of what will eventually be a universal reality one day, a world of peace and justice without death, disease, or conflict. By healing this paralytic, Jesus was giving us a preview of what heaven would be like. In heaven, there will be no more paralysis. In heaven, there will be no more diseases, no more deformities, no more disabilities. In heaven, there will be no more illnesses, no more physical illnesses, and no more mental illnesses. In heaven, there will be no more hospitals and no more wheelchairs. Johnny Erickson Tata is one of my spiritual heroes. She was born in 1949 in Baltimore, Maryland. And when she was just 17 years old, she suffered a terrible diving accident in the Chesapeake Bay, which left her paralyzed from her shoulders down. She became a quadriplegic, and she was confined to a wheelchair ever since. For over 50 years, Johnny has lived in a wheelchair. Now, during her first two years of rehabilitation after the accident, Johnny experienced most naturally uh, anger, depression, and even suicidal thoughts, and she began to doubt her Christian faith. But by the grace of God, Johnny deeply embraced the gospel, and she deeply embraced the hope of the gospel in the midst of her suffering. And, God, and Jesus has used her and her story and her faith to encourage so many people all around the world. You see, to Johnny, the hope of the resurrection, the hope that one day she will get a new, perfect, and resurrected body is precious as you can imagine. One time, Johnny was at a Christian conference, and the speaker urged everyone to get on their knees and pray. And everyone got on their knees, except for Johnny. And listen to how Johnny recounts that experience. With everyone kneeling, I certainly stood out and I couldn't stop the tears. But Johnny wasn't crying because of self-pity. She was crying because the sight of hundreds of people on their knees praying and worshiping was just absolutely beautiful to her. She said that it was a picture of heaven. And then she continued weeping at another thought. Listen to what she wrote. Sitting there, I was reminded that in heaven I will be free to jump up, dance, kick, and do aerobics. And sometime before the guests are called to the banquet table at the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing I plan to do on resurrected legs is to drop on glorified, grateful knees. And I will quietly kneel at the feet of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? You see, one day, for those of us who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he will return and he will give us new and resurrected bodies. And in those new and resurrected bodies, we will live forever with Jesus and with all the redeemed. 
in the new heavens and the new earth. And there will be no more sin, no more pain, no more crying, and no more death. That, my friends, is the hope that we have in the gospel, and it is a precious hope. So what? Let me uh, close my sermon with two things. First, I want to talk to you, those of you who are not yet Christians, to you who have not yet put your faith in the Lord Jesus. Let me ask you this. Do you realize that there is sin in your life? Do you realize that your sin alienates you from God? Do you realize that you need your sins forgiven? You see, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad or how shameful your sins may be, I want to tell you this. Jesus can forgive your sins, every one of your sins, no matter what it is. Jesus not only has the authority to forgive you your sins, but he also paid the price to forgive your sins. He died, gave his life to pay for your sins. Jesus has the right and the authority to forgive you, and he wants to forgive you. Do you have a body that's broken in some way? Are you sick in some sort of serious way? Do you live in a wheelchair? If you believe that Jesus is your Messiah, Jesus promises to give you a new and perfect body, a body that can never be broken or get sick again. And he promises to heal you thoroughly and completely, not just spiritually, but also physically. He promises that when he comes again, that he, that he will heal you in all the ways that you long to be healed. And all you have to do in order to receive this forgiveness and the promise of this healing is to believe in Jesus. You don't have to pay anything. You don't have to do something great for God. Jesus offers it to you freely. And all you have to do to receive it is simply believe, put your faith and trust in Jesus. Because if you believe in Jesus, Jesus will forgive all of your sins right now on the spot, and he will also heal you. If not in this life, then certainly in the life to come. Second, I have a word for those of you who are already followers of Jesus. To you who are Christians, I want to say this. Be like the four friends in our story who brought their friend to Jesus. Bring your friends to Jesus. They need Jesus, and Jesus can heal and forgive them. Think about this. If you don't bring your friends to Jesus, who will? So be creative. Be tenacious as you seek to bring your friends to Jesus. Tear a hole through, a, through, through the roof if you have to. Do whatever it takes to bring your friends to Jesus because Jesus is worth it and your friend is worth it. And may the friends that you carry to Jesus be forgiven and healed by Jesus so that they might walk with Jesus for the rest of their lives. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the story today that reminds us, that tells us that you have the authority to forgive all of our sins and that you have the power to heal us of all of our diseases. Jesus, you are our Messiah. You are the Savior of the world. And I pray that everyone today in this room and watching online 
would put their faith in you and receive the forgiveness of their sins and the hope of true and eternal healing. Amen.